0: Today is my fourth show on Unity Without Compromise. Uh, but before I get into to anything, I want to first confess to you that I have been made aware uh, by certain important people in my life that I have not actually been myself on this talk radio. So today, I'm going to try and actually improve on that and be my typical normal, stubborn French self with all of my peculiarities. Um, Today, what I'd like to do is give you a real dose of perspective. The title of this show is Claiming to be Wise, They Became Fools. What I'd like you to do before we start is just think about some things that you really strongly believe in, and I'd like you then to ask yourself why you actually believe in them. Finally, I'd like you to actually question your own beliefs. Now, this can be very challenging and very threatening, I will admit, but I do wish to challenge you and some of your beliefs. Why? Because if we maintain that we feel a certain way about something, be it political, be it scientific, be it a religious belief or whatever it may be, if you have a false belief, then you are going to actually think about that false belief, and you are going to speak about that false belief, and you will act on those false beliefs, and that can be very dangerous, particularly in a time such as we are living in right now. So, let me just start out by saying that as a nation America is truly becoming a carnival of fools. How is that? Well, with all these beliefs that people have, and because of the way they are acting upon them, we are making some very irrational decisions for our own personal lives, and we see it across the entire nation. We see a political system that is completely out of control because of their false beliefs. When we claim to be wise and state that our knowledge is based on false facts, false data, then we truly have become fools. This is Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Today, I suspect I will make some people at least uneasy and perhaps some of you angry because I might expose some of your own foolishness. What you think you know might actually be wrong. Today, I would like to appeal to every American. I don't care whether you're a patriot or a liberal, a Christian or a non-Christian, male or female, young or old. It doesn't matter whether you're formally educated or whether you are very uneducated. You might consider yourself already to be a fool. I don't think there are many of uh, you out there who believe that, but I do believe there's probably a lot of people out there who think they really are wise. Now, the only way that foolishness can be reversed, and it can be reversed, is if we will only open our eyes to the truth. So how do we determine whether we are a fool or actually a wise? Well, in theory, it's a very easy thing to do. In principle, we just have to get ourselves to question our own beliefs. And that's why I am asking you to do that today. Think about what you believe. Ask yourself, why do I believe it? and then question your beliefs. So when I present you uh, with this challenge today, what I want to do is give you an example of two theories that have actually been with us for a very long time. Because if we are going to really evaluate ourselves and our thinking, then what I'd like to do is talk about a topic that actually is widely known It has been widely dealt with in the past, and uh, most people do have an opinion one way or or another on the fact. So I want to present you with two theories today. Number one, the theory of evolution, versus number two, the theory of creation. Now, when we approach a theory, you need to understand that a theory is a set of beliefs based on a set of data that has been evaluated to some extent. And based on that data, we have come to a conclusion that we think this is the way something works. So we have two camps uh, when we talk about the existence of the world and of life on the planet Earth. And some of you believe that there are Martians and other uh extraterrestrial creatures out there. So if we have life, then the question is, how did it get here? And the two theories, the theory of evolution, suggests that it came about kind of by an accident, and I'll get into that a little bit. But others of you uh, maintain the theory of creation, and that would come from the Bible, uh, that God or a supreme being actually created the world out of nothing. Either way, whether you believe in evolution and uh, formulating from a Big Bang theory, it started out of nothing or ex nihilo. If you are a Christian and believe in the creation story in the book of Genesis, then you believe that God created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. So most uh, people... um, belong to one camp or the other with regard to the theory of evolution or the theory of creation. If you are a non-Christian, you likely will appeal to the geological record and perhaps the fossil record and all of your previous training on the subject of evolution. Um, I have to confess to you that when I started my degree in biology many years ago, um, I Swallowed hook, line, and sinker everything that my professors taught me. I was uh, in a uh, major of biology, and therefore, everything that my professors told me was the gospel truth as far as I was concerned. I don't think I was even fully aware of the fact that in the back of my mind was this idea of the creation because I did know of the Bible and that God said he created the heavens and the earth, but I didn't even question it. I thought, okay, I just don't have all the facts, all the truth. Um, Unfortunately, if you're a Christian, uh, then what is your position? Well, who knows? Because there's absolutely no consensus. You see, a Christian, if they claim to believe in a literal six-day creation period, then you are afraid that you're going to be labeled a fool, and you probably wouldn't share those values. And if you're like most Christians, what you would do as a coping mechanism to deal with this trepidation is compromise your beliefs, maybe in some way and say, well, you know, God probably did create uh, the world, but he did it through an evolutionary process over many, many years. And uh, there's everything in between. So if you're a Christian, you really don't know what your beliefs are. Or uh, I would say, if you do know, then it's along a broad spectrum of beliefs. Now, if you'll bear with me, I'd like to just read a passage from the book of Romans in the first chapter, because like I said, I want you to have perspective, and I think this will set things, uh, at least set the foundation for a proper perspective. So Romans 1, 20 through 22 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became So there it is. We all have the same evidence, the same data. Look around you. We see the universe for all it is comprised of. We see trees and plants. We see animals of all various sorts. If we put a shovel into the ground and we dig, you might come up with some dirt. And then if you keep digging, you'll get into a hard pan and then into a rock layer. But uh, the fact is, is that when we look around us, we all have the exact same data or evidence, and we have to interpret the data. And there comes the challenge for all of us. So you have likely already made a decision about which theory you hold to evolution or creation. If you go down the evolution theory path, you will be told that there was a great big bang and suddenly matter came into the world and it expanded and it was scattered. And lo and behold, after a period of time, and that could have been billions of years, But there was this little planet, and on this little planet, there were the absolutely precise conditions that were necessary to allow the formation of life. And you would probably have been taught about the primordial soup, uh, which is a mishmash, uh, a potpourri of substances that somehow came together in a very early atmosphere that was high energy. It was called a reducing atmosphere. And through that reducing atmosphere, um, over many, many billions of years, somehow there was an amino acid formed. An amino acid is a building block to a protein. And over a period of time, these amino acids, one formed and then another formed, and then they came together, formed chemical bonds. And through this evolutionary process of time, all of a sudden, all the right ingredients finally came together and there was life, the most primordial, the most early life form that ever existed. And through the ongoing evolutionary process, then one day, the complexity of a living one-celled animal was formed, and from there began the rest of the evolutionary process. So we proceeded from the one-celled organisms, and then eventually along came the fish in the sea. Uh, Then they evolved into reptiles, and then into birds, and then into mammals. And of course, they branched out because in evolution, uh, you can have certain things evolving in different now, as I said before, I bought into this completely. I completely accepted it when I studied taxonomy, which is the labeling of all the creatures in the ant and uh, excuse me in the plant and animal kingdom. Uh, there's a lot of different branches. But did you know that this theory of evolution has been challenged by a lot of people? Some of them have been physicists. And in fact, some of the world's most renowned, most uh, great physicists actually come to the conclusion because of the laws of physics, not the theories of physics, but the laws of physics. uh, They conclude that, uh, that such an evolutionary process leading to life is an improbability. And their primary claim is that for something to happen that is structured and organized, There has to be a first mover. There has to be somebody that actually created this whole thing, and they would appeal to things like the second law of thermodynamics, which states that all things tend toward disorder or disequilibrium or chaos. And so if you have this chaos theory, then how in the world can you get something as organized as a living cell to develop? If you were a statistician and you wanted to talk about evolution, then you might give an analogy of the evolutionary process being equivalent to taking a million piece puzzle or even a thousand piece puzzle and drop it from an airplane at about 35,000 feet. And what are the chances of all those pieces of the puzzle being put together as they hit the earth, well, statistically, I am told. I have not looked at the calculations, but I am told that that is statistically possible, given enough time. So there you have it. Now, so from a statistical viewpoint, it seems to be a—it seems to me a near impossibility—that this could actually happen. But statistically, if you are a statistician, you say no, it is possible. Now, if we challenge evolution and that whole process from a biological perspective, then we've really got a a big hurdle to overcome because that seems to have been disproven. You see, there was this idea, this theory of spontaneous generation that was entertained years ago. Many scientists said that life can actually come from non-living matter because they actually observed maggots on some rotting meat. And they said, look, these maggots just one day appeared out of nowhere. And therefore, if if you have the right conditions of heat and moisture and a source of uh, of." Of energy, say, from meat, and under the right conditions, you could actually have spontaneous life being formed where there was no life before. Unfortunately, through the years, there were scientists who were trying to prove this, and there were scientists who were questioning it and trying to disprove it. And over the years, it was actually disproven. In fact, Louis Pasteur in 1858 came to the conclusion by doing very carefully performed experiments, he concluded that uh, life only comes from life. The term was omni vivum ex vivo. Life can only come out of a living form. Now, that has become a law and a law supersedes any theory. So if, uh, if I was a biologist and I said, I believe in evolution, I have this great leap that I have to make and state that a law of biology overrides a theory of evolution because life only comes from life. Now, furthermore, if I wanted to actually prove That life came from non-living matter and it was a possibility. What I would do is some experimentation, but I wouldn't try to duplicate the primordial soup Uh, that occurred in a reducing atmosphere because I simply would not have the hours in a single lifetime to try and duplicate that experiment because it required so much time. But actually, there have been scientists who tried to speed up that process to show that life literally can come from non-living matter. However, we do have a scientist, Dr. Frankenstein. And I think Frankenstein had a much better idea. Why not just take an immediately deceased human body and zap life back into it? Because then all the proteins, all the lipids, all of the carbohydrates, uh, all of the structures, the membranes, the mitochondria and the cells, everything is already in place. So if you will, the pieces of the puzzle are completely together. It's just that the person has died. Now, if you could spark a life into that form, then you technically would overcome the obstacle of creating life. And that's what Dr. Frankenstein attempted to do. It's a very fun story. It's very exciting. I would be the first to admit that if we could spark life into non-living people, then some of my relatives and friends would be alive today because I... Unfortunately, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is a story. It is a story of fiction and not fact. My topic today is... Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, some of you are hearing what I have to say today, and I can just imagine in your brain, you're conjuring up all kinds of arguments to throw at me. And I'm fully aware of that. And believe me, I have addressed the arguments uh, to a large extent with a lot of people, including myself. I have questioned my own beliefs. So before you get too vehemently opposed to me, um let's just take it where you're going because what you would appeal to is the hardcore evidence of science. I'm not considering some things I haven't talked about some things and if I would be talking about the right things then you could prove to me this very day that I am a fool for believing in creation possibly well when we talk about science then what we need to do if we're going to discuss any kind of a scientific experiment, experimentation is that we have to we have to expose the scientific method the scientific method is a series of steps that are taken to deduce a conclusion. And there may be three steps or six steps, depending on who you read. But the scientific method is a very precise methodology that we use to evaluate anything that we observe in the natural world and that we want to apply. So the scientific method goes like this. Step number one is that we make an observation. We look and we say, wow, if I plant this seed, this..." Plant grows or this tree grows, and so I ask a question. Uh, that's step number two what if, what about this? And then what I do is I formulate a hypothesis. So I would say, if I plant this seed in the ground that is warmed, and if I add water to it, then my hypothesis is that a plant will spring up and grow, and so. Step one, observe. Step two, ask a question. Can I plant a seed and make it grow? Step three, I form a hypothesis. I say, yes, I believe I could grow a plant. And then step four, I would conduct an experiment. And when I conduct an experiment, then I try to evaluate my hypothesis and judging the hypothesis is step five. So let's say I have a hundred different kinds of seeds. I plant them in soil and I water them and I expose them to a warm uh, environment and there is sunlight available. So all of a sudden at different rates uh, uh, and different periods of time, these seeds sprout and they start to grow. And therefore I evaluate my hypothesis and I say, yes, I can actually plant seeds that I've taken from the original plant, put them into the ground, water them, give them a little light, give them a little bit of nutrients in the soil, and plants will grow. So I have just formed a theory. I have just stated that my theory is that if I can plant something in the ground, then it will grow given the right conditions. Theories are actually derived from repeated experimentation. I just don't do one experiment. I do a lot of experiments. And then I observe and evaluate what happens. And then I come to a conclusion. And this is exactly what was, uh, was being done by Charles Darwin, for example, in his theory of evolution. But what can you do if you are doing uh, or trying to formulate a hypothesis and you cannot exactly perform the scientific method? Well, then you have to look back at the data, make a hypothesis based on what you see, based on what you think, uh, based on the question that you ask. And the question is, is evolution a possibility? And what Charles Darwin said is that, well, if it was, then it was a very gradual process over billions of years. And what I would expect to see is all the intermediary species that evolved slowly along the way. And Charles Darwin himself gave himself an out and said, I may be wrong if I do not and cannot find the intermediary forms between the species that we see today, then my theory of evolution is blown apart. It is wrong. And in this day, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but Darwinian evolution has been really thrown out the window because we have never found any of the intermediary So having said that, let me challenge one of your beliefs. What is science? This is a very key point for anyone. We must realize that science is nothing more than observing what God has done and putting it to good use. When I talk about science, all I'm talking about is what I am observing in the universe, what God has already done, and I evaluate it, and then I try to put it to good use. And the way that we put it to good use in medicine, in any scientific research, be it physics, uh, like sending a rocket ship to the moon, we have to use the scientific method to prove that certain things in our world can be manipulated and used for good or for evil, because you have both. But do we have evidence to support the creation theory? Because remember, creation is also a theory. How can you prove creation based on the scientific method? Well, you'd have the same problem that Charles Darwin had. But remember, we all have the same evidence. Now, if you go into the book of Genesis, the early accounts, uh, what you'd find is a literal six-day creation. Is that possible? Well, I don't want to answer that question right now, but let's just take a look at some of the evidence that we see. What about the dinosaurs? Now, everybody agrees dinosaurs existed because we have seen their skeletal remains, the fossil remains, And we know that, in fact, they did exist, and they were extremely large creatures, and uh, now they're gone. They are extinct. What exactly happened? I believe that this can be explained in the uh, first chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Now, in the Genesis account, there are six days of creation listed. And on the first day there was light, and by the way, that was before the sun, moon, and stars were created. And on the second day, uh, we read this: Then God said, "Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters." Now, a firmament is a space, an atmosphere. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters, and let it, and, and and thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from waters which were above the firmament. firmament, And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So what you have on the second day of creation is waters being separated from waters, but the waters are separated from above and below. This is not creation of land. This is not separating the waters from the land on the earth but waters from above and below. That would suggest that there was a body of water or a vapor barrier of some sort that formed a canopy around the entire globe of the planet. So what significance might this have? Well, uh, it would suggest that if we had a a barrier, a vapor barrier, then the ionizing radiation of the sun would be greatly reduced. And we know that solar radiation is what causes the aging process. That's the best theory that we have on the aging process right now. And so if that vapor barrier would suddenly disappear, then we would expect some changes. Because remember that the greenhouse effect from a vapor barrier would mean that there would be a pretty much even temperature all around the globe, around the entire earth. The temperature would be about the same, and it would be very warm, and therefore, the dinosaurs would thrive and do very well. And remember that a dinosaur is a reptile, and a reptile continues to grow, increase in size throughout its lifespan, and that is true today, just as it was in the time of the dinosaurs when they existed, Um, But if this vapor barrier suddenly went away, then you would see clear blue sky, there would be no clouds, no water in the sky. And so that vapor barrier would be gone. And did that happen? Well, I would suggest that it did. And when did that happen? Well, if you look into any religion in the world, you will hear an account of a great cataclysmic flood. The biblical flood, when that occurred, the waters came down for 40 days and 40 nights and it rained and water came up from the thermal vents in the bottom of the ocean. And if that happened, there would be a cataclysmic change so rapid that you would expect to find a sudden change in temperature that is away from the tropical region. Uh, It would become extremely cold almost overnight, practically, just as this was happening. And so do we have any evidence of that actually happening? Well, yes, in fact, we do have scientific evidence. In northern Siberia, which is northern Russia, there have been found fully intact, that is not just a fossil record, but fully intact, frozen woolly mammoths, and in the digestive tract, and and in a few cases, in the mouths of the woolly mammoths, are found tropical plants. How did tropical plants get into northern Siberia? Well, this might actually explain that. Uh, The woolly mammoths, everybody knows they exist. In fact, some people uh, I had read that you could actually dine on a woolly mammoth steak, it would be extremely expensive, but they were so well preserved that they could study them uh, at great length. And then if the vapor barrier all of a sudden went away as in from a cataclysmic flood, then all of a sudden you would see a change in the lifespan of creatures and therefore reptiles would no longer grow large because they would die from the aging process. And the cold temperatures that were now being uh, f- formed on the earth all of a sudden would not allow for such large reptiles because large reptiles are not thermophiles. They are cold-blooded creatures. They require heat. Anyone has, uh, that has lived has seen uh, the snakes uh, on the side of a road soaking up the heat at the end of the day. And if you see a reptile in cold weather, they, they can barely move. So dinosaurs became extinct. But everyone knows that dinosaurs existed. And I would suggest to you that dinosaurs did exist when man existed on the planet Earth. In fact, that is described very well in the book of Job in chapter 40. Go there and read about it. So Uh, Despite all of this, many professing Christians simply no longer believe the Genesis account because we have advanced in our science. We, We worship the God of science, and we forget that science is nothing more than observing what God has done and putting it to good use. This is Unity Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio with your host, Steve LaTulip. I am trying to give you a dose of perspective today. Be aware that I did write a book called Unity Without Compromise, A Biblical Basis for Christian Union. That is available on the America Out Loud bookstore, as well as Amazon. You can find it on eBay and on Barnes & Noble. I would encourage you to check it out. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So, why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill free, patent pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great. Convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
0: Welcome back. This is Steve LaTulip on Unity Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I've been talking today about a dose of perspective claiming to be wise they became fools. I have asked you to question your beliefs, to ask you why you might believe the things you do, and then to challenge your own beliefs. And I've used an example of two theories to kind of break the ice on that now we must realize that in america today america is most definitely in a post-christian era evangelism is pretty much essentially gone and that is most unfortunate. If you want to have a lot of fun, I would encourage you to read a book called Bible in Pocket, Gun in Hand. It is a story of frontier religion written by Ross Ferries, P-H-A-R-E-S. If you consider the American frontier days, uh, life was very hard. As the early American settlers were expanding westward, There were very few of them and you didn't have a lot of neighbors and you didn't have any colleges or schools. Education was tough, but there was a great effort uh, because of the spiritual mindedness of the early settlers to go out and reach out to these people who were living on the frontier, who were struggling and just trying to survive in the wilderness. And, when the circuit riders went about on their horses with their Bible and preaching and trying to evangelize, it was actually a very uplifting uh, time for people. They wanted to hear it, and it was a goal of the early ch- churches that settled in America, regardless of what denomination. They went out and tried to ensure that everybody had a Bible, everybody was uh was uh, availed a Bible study or a Sunday school. There was a great movement uh, to try and spread Christianity, and there was a very good reason for that. Uh, proceed a few hundred years, and what do we have now? We have a church that is so diluted that it has become powerless and meaningless. False teachers have infiltrated the church. We hear of health and wealth gospels. Uh, we have the wars pertaining to the end times and what will happen with them. The fancy word for that is eschatology, the uh, the sequence of what will happen in the last days. What we have in American churches is compromise everywhere, and there's a reason for that, and it pertains to false beliefs. So you see, Christians no longer really know what the Word of God is, and I know that's a bold statement, but Unfortunately, when you look around you, when you talk to other Christians and non-Christians, both would agree pretty much that there is no difference in the way Christians behave or think when compared to non-Christians. And that is a travesty. There has been a great falling away from the Bible. But if I may make another bold statement, I would claim that the further we separate ourselves from the knowledge of God, then the further we sink into the mud of decay. And we are seeing that happening today uh, at a very accelerated rate. In fact, the more that we fall away from the Bible's teachings, the more we actually lose our ability to discern all truth from any discipline, from any perspective, regardless of what it is, we become prone to joining the carnival of fools. Many Christians in this day and age uh, uh, tend to fight among themselves a lot, and there's a lot of disagreement uh, from one denomination to the other, and there's a reason for that also, because they are simply taught hogwash. They are taught things that are accepted as fact, and so they believe it, and then they spread it, despite the fact that what they are being taught, even from the pulpit, is false information. That is pathetic. If you go into the New Testament, there are three little letters written by the Apostle Paul, and those three letters are called the Pastoral Epistles. The word pastor is the French word, pasteur, which means shepherd. And these three letters are called the Pastoral Epistles because Paul is writing specifically to the leadership of the church, to the elders who oversee. Something called sound doctrine. And in fact, if you look up those two words, sound doctrine, you will only find those words together in the three pastoral epistles. So sound doctrine is extremely important. And if you don't have it, then you have no basis for anything. And I realize that there are people out there who say, well, doctrine is not so important. It's just uh, the need for love and community. And we join together based on that. But the absolute truth is that if you have no sound doctrine, then what you have is a mishmash. And the Bible becomes just a nice little book to read that really has no significance whatsoever. And I would want to caution anybody who thinks that they can change the word of God and get away with it because the Bible gives us several very severe warnings. And if we don't give heed to that, we are on very serious ground. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Moses is speaking and he's teaching the Israelites about the statutes and judgments of God. And he tells them, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. I don't know about you, but those words kind of scare me, but that's the Old Testament. And so some of you Christians might actually be saying, well, you know, that doesn't pertain to us anymore. We are living in the New Testament times under the new Covenant," And that is a true statement. But if you want to talk about changing the word of God, adding to it and taking away from it, uh, all you have to do is get on a topic about the book of Revelation. This is where the end times or the last days are discussed, and there is no other book in the Bible when Christians distort things, add to them, and take away from them uh, compared to any other book in the Bible. However, if you go to the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, that's in chapter 22, we read the most scary warning that I have ever read anywhere in the Bible pertaining to adding to or taking away. And here is that warning. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 through 20 says, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. That is a very scary warning, and yet, Christians so easily make up their own stories when they discuss the book of Revelation. Most Christians don't even realize that the word Antichrist is not even in the book of Revelation. Most Christians don't understand that there have already been many Antichrists, and the Apostle John alludes to those very directly in his letters. So is there an antichrist involved in the end times? Yes, there most certainly is. But he is another antichrist, and he will be a severe antichrist. But we must be very, very careful not to add to or take away from the word of God, because the warnings in Scripture are very severe. Now, why in the world would anybody fall away from the Bible, or change the Bible if you're a Christian? The answer is the same as the non-Christian who would choose to reject God's. The answer is because of our pride. If you have been taught something that is not so, and you refuse to let go of what you've been taught, it's because of pride. If you look around you and see the evidence of the creation and reject it and say, no, it happened some other way. Your presupposition is wrong and you reject the truth because of pride. And that's exactly what Paul states in the uh, first chapter of Romans. You see, we further fall away from truth when we deviate from the Bible when we don't know what the Bible says. Now, I did mention at the start of this show that I would challenge you and perhaps intimidate you a little bit. And I probably ruffled a few feathers by now, but I want you to think about something that perhaps we can all agree on. And that would be the death angel. Everyone has heard about the death angel, how the death angel uh, actually went and destroyed the firstborn of every Egyptian male, be it human or animal, the death angel killed every one of the firstborn males. Uh, um, I have found uh, in the past that virtually everybody agrees with this statement. However, I would disagree with that. If you get into the book of Exodus chapters 11 and 12, look in there for yourselves and try to find the death angel. It is not there. See, the death angel is a myth, but you who profess to be Christians, who profess to know the Bible, would say that the death angel is a fact. Your thinking is wrong. Your beliefs are wrong. And if you have talked about the death angel at any time, you are spreading a false teaching. On the other hand, I've already mentioned to you that in the 40th chapter of the book of Job, and by the way, Job is the oldest book uh, historically in the Bible, and it was written uh, in the patriarchal times, that is, in the very early times of Abraham or, or Isaac and Jacob and around those times, and probably earlier than that. We cannot determine a date. But we know that it was written in very early times. And in chapter 40 of Job, we hear a full, accurate description of behemoth, which is a dinosaur, similar to brontosaurus or apatosaurus or uh, one of the new names given some of the largest uh, grazing dinosaurs of old and we do have those in the fossil records so they were there but the problem is in Job chapter 40 there they are God is speaking to Job and he says look around you and he's talking about uh, different creatures that existed in the world such as lions and different birds and uh, mountain goats and the wild donkey ostriches wild oxes horses, various animals are mentioned. And there's also a mention of things that existed in nature uh, pertaining to the creation. And God is saying, look, Job, look around, you see these creatures. Can you explain to me how this happened, how that happened? Who sent the wild donkey free, for example? And we have domestic donkeys and we have the wild ox and domestic oxes. And Can you hunt the prey for the lion? How does the lion do that? If I was a lion, I would be fearful of how I would survive because I have to go and kill every animal and uh, that I would have to eat to survive. It would be a challenge. But the point is that God is saying, look around you, Job. And as he's saying, look around you, he leads to behemoth. And he says, look at this great creature. And that's in chapter 40, verses 15. And he says, he eats grass like an ox. And look at the strength in his loins and the power and the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. So there is... A great description of a dinosaur, a huge reptile that no longer exists. But let me really challenge you here, because when you get to chapter 41 in the book of Job, what you read about is a dragon. Now, the dragon is considered to be a creature of mythology, a fire-breathing dragon is a lot of fun. We have puff, the magic dragon. We have dragons, uh, in a lot of Eastern mysticism. And we, it is a symbol, um, sometimes a symbol of evil, a symbol of mystery, a symbol of possibly wisdom. But in chapter 41 of Job, God says to Job, look at Leviathan. And he spends the entire chapter on Leviathan which is a dragon, and he describes an actual fire-breathing dragon. He sneezes forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils, smoke goes forth as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes forth from his mouth. Now that is a description, only partially described to you, but a description of a real fire-breathing dragon. So where did this picture, this imagery of a dragon come from? It comes from reality, from the animal kingdom, from a creature that actually existed. And now I see some of you are probably really ridiculing me and mocking me. Okay, so let me appeal to you as a scientist. If we really had dragons that existed, then they must be in the fossil record, right? But in the fossil record, all we have is bones. We have the skeletal remains because uh, the calcium in the bones are very hard, and so they hung around a lot longer and they were fossilized. What we don't have is the soft tissue. So as a Christian, I have an obligation to suggest to you that this could have been a possibility. And as a scientist, I would suggest to you that a dragon very much existed and was a real living animal. What do you need to produce a fire-breathing dragon? Well, first of all, you need a source of fuel. Do we have any animal present in the world today that generates a source of fuel? Well, of course we do. We have cows. What is in the gut of a cow? Well, the four-chambered stomach of a cow is full of methane gas. Methane gas is produced from eating straw and hay and grass And the bacteria that break down those substances in the gut produce methane gas. The bacteria are called methanogens. They produce natural gas or methane, a one carbon uh, gas that is easily ignited. However, to have a fire breathing dragon, you would need a source of electricity, like a spark mentioned in chapter 41 of Job. Is that a possibility? Do we have anything that generates electricity in the natural world that we see today? Well, yes, we do. We have the electric eel, we have the bomber beetle, and these creatures generate sparks. And what is an eel? An eel is nothing more than a biological capacitor to, and it can discharge that, that stored energy, electrical energy at will. So I wouldn't want to pick up an electric eel. I might get shocked. Now, if there was such an organ in the pharynx or throat of a creature such as a dragon. And if that dragon produced methane gas and could belch up that gas at will and spark a a little tiny uh, spark as that gas is being exhaled, what would you have? You would have a fire breathing dragon. Of course, in the fossil record, the soft tissue organs would not be seen. But I would suggest to you that yes, a fire breathing dragon is very much within the realm of the animal kingdom. It is a possibility. But you as a Christian thought that the dragon was a myth, and the dragon, I believe, was a real creature. You thought that the death angel was real, was factual based on the Bible, but the death angel is a myth. So there's been a flip-flop here. I bring this point up because my topic today is claiming to be wise they became fools. I wanted to challenge you to not belong to the carnival of fools by simply questioning some of your own beliefs. Because if we don't challenge the status quo, if we don't use the gray matter between our ears and use our brains to actually think things through, then we are going to be deceived further and further and further until We lose our very freedom in America. You see, deception is rampant. And when people are deceived and they don't think, then they start believing what they hear repeatedly. Now, you have heard many things pertaining to this viral pandemic, Is the virus real? Yes, it is. But what are the real facts about this? Why are you allowing yourself to be controlled by things that are not true? You have to question your beliefs, and then you have to rethink things through. Remember, the pursuit of wisdom always begins with humility. Pride always negates wisdom. The first thing we have to do is approach life with a little bit of humility. We must also understand that the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. That is the Bible. We must return to the Bible. We should not fear man. We should not fear a virus. We should not swallow hook, line, and sinker that which is not true. And in order to make a right decision, we have to know something about God. Wisdom is a choice, but it comes only from God. I have said many times, common sense is truly a gift from God. Worldly wisdom is actually foolishness, but there is always a choice to be made and we have to make the right choice. So today, I hope that I have just sparked in your mind a little bit of doubt about what you might believe. I hope that you will now question things a little more deeply about what you are actually being told, and it doesn't matter if it was in early childhood or if it was this morning. Question what is claimed to be factual and true, because you might find out just the opposite. And if you doubt, doubt can be a good thing. There's no problem with that. Be humble enough to search the truth out. And when you take a stand, try to be wise in taking a stand for the right thing. This is Steve LaTulip on Unity Without Compromise on the America Out Loud talk radio show. Thanks for joining me today. This is a place where truth is esteemed, where God is revered, and where true patriots gather to make a wide path for truth and righteousness and to expose the carnival of fools who oppose truth and who try to influence us. Next week, I will take this a step further and what I would like to do is expose the most destructive force in our nation today. So brace yourself. I suspect it's not what you think, but I claim that it is true. Meanwhile, if you think you know something, think again. Read about it, study it, learn from the facts, and then apply it to your life. Of course, the best place to begin seeking perspective is in the Bible. Whether you're a Christian or not, there is much benefit to it. Read the book of of Proverbs, 31 chapters. Read it on a 31-day month. One chapter a day, it will change you forever. And if you haven't read the Bible, realize that you're lost. If you have read it, then start living it. And let your life be a gift to your fellow man. Do good and make the world a better place. Until next time, adieu.